Well, this is day 29. If you've been paying attention or if you had the workbook that we've kind of been going through, this red letter challenge. So we're kind of facing the last week and a half. And uh, so we're going to be wrapping this series up pretty soon. And I feel like you're sad. Deep down, you feel sad, sort of. 40 days, it's not about a gimmick. It's not about some kind of a, a magic bullet. What we're trying to do very simple. In this series, we've been trying to spend time reading the words of Jesus, which in many printed Bibles, especially in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, the words of Jesus are printed in red. And so the idea was spending time, all of the words are important, but those red letters clue us into the words Jesus said. And so we've been trying to hear his words and put them into action. And so we're kind of nearing the last a bit of this series. I hope you've enjoyed it so far. Today we're talking about the, the fifth of the five priorities that you see as you read the red letters, the five priorities of Jesus, the big parts that he really wanted us to, to clue in on. So we're going to be finishing that here very shortly. Next weekend, we're going to talk about how to carry this on throughout the rest of the year. And so hopefully you can be there for that as we kind of wrap up the series and the 40-day challenge, which is coming faster than we know it. I want to clue you into something that may be hard with the cameras, but I want to point out some fancy footwork here. Well, really, just my shoes. These shoes, as you can see, I'll model them this way because it helps to get an angle on them, so I'll move this way. These shoes have been touted by the major outlets like Time Magazine and New York Times and the Wall Street Journal as the most comfortable shoe in the world. These came out about five years ago and a gentleman in New Zealand developed these shoes. They are fully sustainable. They have things like natural oils in them. I'm not really sure how that works. They can get wet. They don't like melt, which is it's helpful in a shoe, shoe that you're wearing. But these, these are made predominantly from a particular wool that they grow in New Zealand merino wool and it's very expensive wool but it's also very interesting the way that, that the wool works somehow this gentleman in New Zealand developed these shoes and they are touted as the most comfortable I tell you what I I feel like I'm wearing socks right now that's that's how comfy they are they're called all birds in case you hadn't heard of them all birds are my thing and what am I doing right now why am I talking about shoes on a Sunday morning? How, how, Ben, I've got other things to do that are more important than you talking about your shoes. Well, what happens when we get something or we uh, try something or we, someone gives us a gift or, or something like that? What happens when we get something that we're kind of excited about? What do we naturally do? Talk about it. Tell other people about it. You got to see these, these shoes, for instance. Or it might be for you a, a new restaurant, or maybe it's a device that you're really excited about. Maybe that, that new smartphone that has like 15 different camera lenses on it. So, wow, this one's really good. I don't know what it is for you, but it seems like, and this, this goes way back to even like, you know, like a, a elementary school, right? When we were in elementary school, they used to just, well, they did when I was a kid, they would do a thing called show and tell. Or you'd bring something and then you'd be excited about it and tell everybody about it. There's something about us that when we get excited about something, we want to tell everybody about it. Now, 
for you, again, it may not be shoes per se, but it might be something else. Maybe it's a favorite pair of overalls. Uh, I don't know what it is. It could be some Carhartts for you. I'm not sure. But when we really get into something, we, t- we talk about it. What is interesting is that in, in sales terms, like some of you, maybe you work in a, a job where you've got salespeople. Maybe you've done some sales work yourself where you've been a salesperson, whether that be in a retail setting or something else. I, I did sales for a while. Very difficult job. But I've noticed now, sometimes on business cards for salespeople, they will actually print something on here uh, when, when, when they're talking about whatever they're selling. Instead of a salesperson, their title is product evangelist. Now, I remember the first time I saw that on a business card, I went, wait, wait a minute. You're stealing that from us, okay? You're stealing that term evangelist from our camp here. You can't just willy-nilly grab our terms, okay? I got a little, you know, testy about that. But I realized that with the idea of evangelism, you're excited, in our case, about Jesus. But so they were taking those same terms and kind of creating them around a new title about the whatever product they happen to be selling. And it's interesting, when we get excited about products, we'll even tell complete strangers. I've actually had conversations about my, my shoes to complete strangers. I know that seems silly, but it's true, right? When we get excited about something, we tend to want to talk about it. And maybe you have done that a little bit in your life. Maybe this year you, you, you're excited about something and you're just a product evangelist or something like that. We do this and it's natural. And you probably see where I'm going with this. When was the last time we were that excited? Not about shoes or a product. When was the last time we were excited about our story with Jesus? When was the last time we were that excited that we just want to tell people, this is what Jesus has done for me in my life? Think about that for a moment. Look, we've been looking at the five priorities of Jesus. We started with being, and it all starts with spending time with him in relationship with Jesus. Then we talked about forgiving, because you can't get too close into the the gospel story without realizing, wow, forgiveness is a big part of it. And so we were forgiven much, and so then we can extend forgiveness. So we talked about forgiveness. That's the second thing. We talked about the idea of serving, that we want to be people who serve, that we put other people's needs in front of our own. Last weekend, we talked about giving and generosity, that, that Christ followers, rather than being stingy people, we should be the most generous on the planet because of all that God's given to us. And today we're talking about going. And I think going is probably one of the most scariest of all five priorities. Anybody get a witness? Can we get a witness on that? And you start asking, like, why, why are we so afraid of that, that going part? But when I look at the first century, and I read the stories of the gospel, many of you have been spending time in the gospels. What happens when someone encounters Jesus? When someone meets Jesus for the first time, they don't tend to keep it to themselves. They tend to tell people. In fact, sometimes they physically would grab people and say, you've got to see this guy I met who is amazing. We'll talk about one of those stories, but whenever people met him in the first century, they just couldn't help themselves, and they wanted to bring people in proximity to Jesus. It was an amazing thing. And so I wonder, what about us? When was the last time we were that excited? And I I wonder about this. What if we as a church, as Christ followers, whether that be digital or in person today, what if us together could recapture some of that excitement, some of that that, 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 that urge to tell people the good news, that Jesus changed my life. I don't know every theological answer to everything in the Bible, but I do know this. 
when I met Jesus, everything changed, and I would like you to get to know who this person is. What if we could do that? Imagine a church family that was really excited again about that. I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you're here. Whether you're new with us online or in person, awesome that you've taken a step uh, toward, toward uh, your, your faith and, and your journey. We would love to celebrate that with you. We gather like this every weekend. It's on a Sunday. There's a reason for that. It's the first day of the week. It's a day that we take a deep reset. So maybe you came in here today and you just need a, a good deep breath. Let's try that real quick. Let's take a deep breath. Bring it out. That does something to us, so, you know, physiologically. But this is the first day of the week, and we gather like Christians, Christ followers all over the globe. We lift up the name of Jesus because 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born in a miraculous way, lived a perfect life, taught many things, did wonderful miracles, died on a cross for our sins, but then rose again on the third day that was a Sunday and changed human history forever. So we gather like this on Sunday. So we're glad you're here, whether that be again in person or online. We're at one church serving Jesus. You know, God isn't, God isn't put off by digital or physical. He can do his work either way. So let's, uh, let's do that together as one church family. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us about this idea of, of being people who are on scent or get going. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. You are mighty and powerful. You have a story for us to tell. Father, I pray that you'd help each of us to be encouraged, challenged, uh, to, to, to have a new excitement about telling the story of your son, Jesus, to the people that you've already put in our circles of influence. So, Father, empower us by your Holy Spirit. Move in a mighty way. Speak through your word. And may we leave this place changed and our gathering changed today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, if you have a Bible, start finding John chapter 1. And while you're doing that, again, I just want to remind you that this priority means, this going priority means that you and I are, 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 are not just, we didn't just say yes to Jesus, but when we said yes to Jesus, we got to suit up and get in the game, that actually we are people on mission, that no matter what circles of influence you're in or your career or where you're at in your stage in life, God has orchestrated circumstances so that you can be on mission wherever you go. In fact, you know, you take Jesus and his message and his kingdom with you wherever you go. And so we're on mission and we serve the king. We serve the king and we're part of his kingdom. And so that means we are people who are always on the go and sent no matter where we happen to be. The five priorities, being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. This last one, I think, is one of the hardest ones because we get it confused. We get this very confused because when we say evangelism or, or maybe telling the gospel story, there's one particular person, at least for me, that pops into my mind. Anybody? Who is it? Also, Paul, I think Billy Graham. Billy Graham. You heard of Billy Graham? Now, obviously, he passed away a few years ago. His son Franklin's got big shoes to fill, I'll tell you that. But people generally think of Billy Graham, and Billy Graham did amazing things. I went to a Billy Graham crusade one time and listened to him. He's a, he was a tall guy, very commanding guy, deep, broad voice, and he would say, if you died tonight, come on, if you've ever been or watched any of them on TV, there's just something about the presence. And he was consistent through all those years, decades and decades, and spoke to... When I think of evangelism, I can't help but think of Billy Graham. He pops into my mind. See, I think that's maybe some of our problem. Not, not that Billy Graham's our problem. The problem is when we think of evangelism or sharing the story of Jesus, we automatically assume that we have to be Billy Graham up on a stage in front of thousands of people. I don't know what it is. And it stuck with us. It stuck with me for a long time. And so that kind of, it made it scary to me. 
And maybe you felt like that too. It's well, it's scary. I don't want to offend people. Like at my work, I can't really talk about Jesus in my work. That'd be kind of weird. Uh, so maybe you've had some hang-ups that way, and you felt like, well, I'm no Billy Graham, so maybe I don't have a role to play. I want us to change that thinking. That actually, you and I, depending on what we do for a living or our background or our circumstances, our family situation, God has uniquely wired you and put people around you already that just need to hear your story. That's really what we're aiming for today. So, so let's change the narrative on, on what evangelism means, and that's really just sharing your story to the people that God's already placed in your life. There's been a quote that's been around for years, and it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. I'm not sure if he actually said it. It was several centuries ago, so I couldn't really ask him at this point. But this phrase you might have heard before, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. Have you, anybody heard that before? You heard that somewhere, maybe in, in different circles? I get what he's saying, that it's not just about what we say all the time, it's also how we act. You know, the, 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 like actions speak louder than words. I get that. But do you know that sometimes you do need to use words too? I mean, yes, I agree with, what he, with the, the sentiment there, but sometimes we got to use words. Sometimes people do need to hear an answer for the hope that we have in us. That of all the religions in the world, of all the philosophies and 10-step plans to be a better human, that there was something unique about Jesus that changed us. Something unique about the gospel that we couldn't get anywhere else. See, sometimes we do got to use words. Yes, actions are important, but words do matter. Serving people matters, but sometimes when we serve, it opens opportunities to tell. And, and, and rather than getting all caught up in, in knowing all the right words to say all the time, maybe we can just change the narrative in our brain and just say, well, we just tell the story of what Jesus did for us. Maybe some of you met Jesus in Sunday school back in the day when you were a kid. Some of you may have met Jesus at a festival or at a camp or something like that. Some of you were, were on, on, on a bad, in a bad place. Some of you were stuck in addiction. So you, that, that may be your story. But whatever our story is, people are drawn to story. And when we tell our story, we can lead them to the one who's changed it all for us. And that is a powerful thing. Look, when people encountered Jesus in the first century, they tended to tell people. Now, we're not given any kind of parameters with that. It's not like Jesus said, okay, when you meet me and you want to tell somebody, here's the five-step plan you need to do before you tell them. We don't have any of that. What happens is people met Jesus and went, wow, and then they went and told somebody. Like I said, sometimes even pulling people off their fishing nets. You've got to come meet this guy. Or out of, their, out of their job, in the case of Matthew. Quit, quit, you need to come follow me. This was happening. They didn't have a full plan of how they were going to somehow you know, have the right words to say. They just got excited about Jesus and they wanted to follow. Those first, those first disciples, if you remember, now some of you know the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you know these stories pretty well, but some of you may not, and that's okay. What you find is when people encounter Jesus, they just couldn't help it. It's like they couldn't help themselves. Way more excited about that than these shoes. They were excited about a Messiah, potentially. They were excited about this man that taught things unlike any other. In fact, they would say that this man has authority that none of the religious people I've ever heard of has. And he would do these miracles and, 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 and raise the dead and heal people. And, and so people couldn't help but tell others. If you have John chapter 1, I want to show you a progression here. 
And, and my hope is to encourage you. This should be an encouraging message today that you have a role to play. No, you may not be Billy Graham, but you have a role to play in just telling your story and just whoever God's already put in your sphere of influence, they, they would love to hear your story. And, and, and my hope is you get to tell them about Jesus. Look, John chapter 1, let's look at verse 29. When you get to verse 29, you find John the Baptist meeting Jesus. Now, we know that John the Baptist and Jesus kind of knew each other. They were, like, related. So they had some family history. But, you know, once they kind of got to adulthood, they, they, they kind of separated their ways. John had his ministry. He was kind of a weirdo. He wore weird clothes. He ate weird food. And he was out in the Jordan baptizing people for repentance. So John was kind of this oddball, but he kind of in some ways, embodied the Old Testament prophets. And so that becomes important because he becomes that Old Testament prophet to kind of issue in Jesus, almost like a precursor of Jesus. So we got John the Baptist and we have Jesus. And finally, as adults, they meet kind of in their ministry time. And it's the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's the sunsetting of John the Baptist's ministry. And what happens when John the Baptist sees Jesus in that, that new place? He sees Jesus in, in 29 through 34 in chapter 1, sees Jesus and tells his disciples right away about this Jesus guy. Almost immediately, John the Baptist redirects some of his disciples' attention away from John and to Jesus. He said, actually, this is the one I was telling you about. And so these two disciples get to hear about it right away from John the Baptist. I mean, doesn't even miss a heartbeat. I mean, those other disciples are probably standing right there. Jesus comes into the water. John the Baptist is like, great, let's do this thing. I don't know if I should baptize you, but we'll do this. We come back up. God speaks. Right away, John's like looking at his disciples. This is what I was telling you about. What happens? They start following Jesus. Do you know who one of the disciples that right that day was? One of the, one of the guys was named Andrew. And do you know who Andrew's brother was? A guy named Peter. Now, if you look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's a progression. Now, we don't have all the time frame exactly right, but John is giving some highlights of what's happening when people encounter Jesus. So those two disciples of John the Baptist, they are re redirected to Jesus. One of those is named Andrew. The first thing he does, look at verse 35, or uh, verse uh, about 38. One of those two, Andrew, immediately goes and gets his brother Peter. And what does Andrew tell Peter? He says this, we have found the Messiah. That is, that means Christ. So right away, do you see what's happening? People encounter Jesus and they want to point him to other people. And now the next day after this, this is about verse 43 of chapter 1, still in John 1. Okay, you're wondering, where are we at? John chapter 1 still, all in the same chapter. In verse 43, the next day Jesus encounters Philip. And what does Philip start doing right away? Following Jesus. There was no, well, you can't follow me yet, Philip, because you need to go through Bible college or you need to take this special test. Start following me. People just started following him. And what happens next? Well, Jesus encounters Philip who follows him. And then what does Philip do? Verse 44. What, what do you think he does without even looking? Does he, you think he tells somebody? Yeah, he does. He tells Nathaniel. So Philip right away goes and tells Nathaniel, you got to see this Jesus guy. What I'm trying to show you here is, and there's other places we could go, but even in just John chapter 1, when people met Jesus, they wanted to bring others along. They just wanted to show, and they didn't have to know everything. 
They didn't have to have the whole entire Bible memorized. They didn't have to have every argument and every... They didn't need to know all the world's philosophies and every religion. They didn't need to know all about that. They just wanted to share, share the fact that they saw Jesus and they want you to come check him out. Now, we don't know that everybody who started following Jesus kept following Jesus. But it's interesting that people were excited and, and right away wanted to follow him. John chapter 4, if you have your Bible still available, look at John chapter 4. Now, you may know this conversation. What you may not know is that this conversation is the longest recorded conversation in the Bible with Jesus and another person. And what's more scandalous about it is it wasn't with another man. It was with a woman, questionable woman, of Samaria. You may be familiar with the story of Jesus and the woman at the well. It's the longest recorded interaction that Jesus has in a conversation is this right here. Interesting, isn't it? And Jesus and this woman encounter. Now, if you don't know the story, basically there's a well. It's about noon. All the other women in the town have probably already been over earlier in the day to gather water because it got pretty warm. Well, around noon or one, as you know, and this is the Middle East. I haven't been there, but I'm assuming it's a little warmer around noon. So she's coming at noon. That probably means she was, she was already shunned by the rest of the women in town. And then we get to find out why. Why was maybe she shunned and why was she questionable? Well, she was on her fifth man or serious relationship and the person that she's with now, she isn't married to. We get all those details because Jesus kind of tells her that. So we get this whole conversation. Maybe you're familiar with this. And Jesus is talking about, hey, could you draw me some water? And there's this whole interaction. And, and uh, she's like, well, you don't have anything to draw anything with. And he's like, well, if you asked me, I would have given you living water. You, you know, won't have to thirst anymore. She's thinking still about physical water. He's obviously talking about a bigger thing, about spiritual refreshment. So we have this whole interaction. Hopefully that will bring you up to speed. Well, as the conversation goes, and it gets a little dicey because Jesus starts to ask the hard questions and point things out, but he still does it with so much love, so much so that she gets excited about Jesus. She hightails it into town. I think she forgot about her water buckets. She hightails it into town, if you know John chapter 4. And at this point, you may be wondering, where's the disciples? Well, in come the disciples. And they're kind of wondering, number one, why would Jesus talk to a woman? And number two, a Samaritan woman. And add a third layer to that, a questionable woman. Why would you be having this conversation? I wonder if, if some of them were like worried about including it in the gospel. Like was John thinking about that a little bit? I love that he put it in here. But they have this interaction. She goes off to town. The disciples are back. And they're like, what's going on? And Jesus says, well, I have food that you don't even know about. His disciples, they're not thinking about spiritual food. They're thinking about actual food. They're like, well, maybe he got some food from somebody. Maybe they ran to McDonald's. I don't know. This is happening. And then what occurs is amazing. So the disciples, how many people from the town did the disciples have with them? Zero. They were in town. They told nobody about Jesus. This gal has a conversation. She goes to town. Who does she bring back with her? The whole town. She was more successful as an evangelist than the 12 disciples. You know, the ones with the pedigree. She brings the whole town back. And she says this. Hey, and this is her, this is her big evangelistic 
message to bring out the whole town. And maybe this will give you some encouragement. Here's her big three-point sermon. Verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. What? Can this be the Christ is what she said. And what happened? She gets one line or, okay, two lines. Verse 30, they went out of the town and were coming to him. She told her story. She told her darkest parts of her story. She said, he told me all I ever did. He knows. And I want you to meet him. Sometimes it would seem when people have a, a view of church and Christians, that's not the same view that they would have. They would want to cover up maybe the bad parts. They would want to not approach those church people. Not so with Jesus. He's completely revealing in that conversation, and she goes and tells the town her evangelistic message, her big speech to the town to get him to come meet Jesus, is he told me everything I did. And she brought all the town out. In fact, they stayed for a couple days, I think. And just think of the great ministry that happened with Jesus there and this town and this woman who basically did what? She told her story. That's all she did. She told her story. And you might be thinking, I'm, I'm no Billy Graham, or I'm, I can't do what Ben does. That's weird. I'm standing up there every Sunday. I couldn't do that. But you have people in your life that Billy Graham or I or other people that are stage sort of people will never interact with. And you have a story to tell. And God has positioned you. He's not surprised that you're in Monmouth, Dallas, Willamina, wherever you're at. He's not surprised by that. In fact, you are there for a purpose. You are there because you have opportunity to tell your story to the people, the unique people, and your unique circumstances that God has been orchestrating way before you were born. Do you know that? And we think we've got to come up with this great plan, and we've got to figure all this out. No, you don't. You're faithful and you're available, and you just tell your story. What did, the, what did the woman do? She just told her story, and her whole town came out. Can you imagine that? You know, the next big evangelical crusade that you see on TV or whatever, you know, back when they used to have those, and you get the preacher that stands up, and he basically just gives a laundry list of all the, the, the wrong things he's done. And then he's like, okay, who wants, to, who wants to join the Jesus team? Let's pray. That's essentially what she did. She told her story with all the sort of details. And we don't know all the details, obviously, but she just was honest about her story, and people were drawn to that. Going simply means be willing and able and available to tell your story. You may not have that crazy testimony where, you know, you were strung out on drugs and you were living on the street. That could be some of your story. I don't know. But you could have just met Jesus when you were in a Bible camp. And you've been following Jesus, and maybe not perfectly. You know, maybe you, you said yes to Jesus when you were eight. But then high school came, and you're like, eh, you know, fast cars and stuff and hormones and whatever it might be. So that could be your story, right? But, but whatever your story is, it's, it's valuable, and God knows it. And he's already put people in your life that need to hear your story. And we just need to be willing and able to tell it. You know, one of the things I pray for every week, it's on my list. God, would you help me see divine moments? And what I mean by that is, God, would you help me be sensitive to your spirit when there's an interaction that's really kind of queued up for me? 
Would you be, help me, help me, Lord, be sensitive to those divine moments when you're calling me to say that word or be that encouragement so that I'm always looking for what it is God's bringing my way. Maybe that needs to be added to your prayer list. God, would you help me see those moments so I don't miss them? I don't know about you, but I can be stubborn. Don't talk to Jackie about that. She'll tell you that I'm not stubborn, but I am stubborn. And the thing is, sometimes I, I, don't, I, need, I need help to see what God wants to tell me. I'm, I'm a little hard-headed sometimes. So that's what my prayer is. And maybe that could be your prayer. God, would you help me to understand moments when it's natural for you to tell your story? I'm not talking about that person. Some of you are thinking, well, I'm not going to be that person with a bullhorn standing on the corner down here in downtown Dallas. No, that's probably not what God's going to call you to. He could call you to go into a foreign mission field. We don't know. But he, we do know this. He's called you to love your neighbor, and you are already in relationships at work, at home. Maybe you're praying for a family member that you've been praying for for years. These are moments you can be praying for. Are, who are you praying in your immediate circle of influence for those moments you could just tell your story? You see, when Jesus called his disciples, he said, come follow me. And at some point he said, okay, you did it. Now I want you to go. Do you know that the language at the end of all four Gospels has similar notes to it? The end of all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all have language of being going, going, sending, being on mission. Those all four point to, hey, you've learned enough about Jesus. Now go. Tell your story wherever God takes you. And, and certainly, yes, there's locations and geographies, but God has put you uniquely in the circle that you're in. Now, why do we have such a tough time with this? Beyond what we've already talked about, I think there's two reasons sometimes that we're a little bit hesitant. We get a little scared about this language of going and about evangelism. I think the first one is this, that we put way too much pressure on ourselves. We put way too much pressure. We think that we've got to be able to have that perfect paragraph that takes someone from zero to I'm a Christ follower in 60 seconds or less. We think we've got to have this great eloquent plan. We put all this pressure on ourselves to say the right words. And what we're, for, we're failing to do is let the Holy Spirit guide that. Do you know that when you said yes to Jesus, and, and we talk about responding to Jesus, right? It's, it involves faith and confession and repentance and baptism and living for him. When we respond that way, the scriptures tell us that the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, to dwell in us. God is taking residence in you. That's a big deal. So it's weird that we put all this pressure on ourselves. Let the Holy Spirit lead that. That conversation, that story. We have the Holy Spirit. We don't need, God doesn't need temples made by hands anymore. Shrines and temples. and He lives in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to rely on the Holy Spirit, not on how great or eloquent we are. Does that make sense? We, we put way too much pressure on ourselves. We've already got people in our sphere of influence that already know us and already love us probably. And sometimes we just need to tell them a story. Let me tell you, I don't know why every theological argument, but I'll tell you what Jesus did for me. So let's, let's, take, let's take the pressure off a little bit. Let's take the pressure off. And the second thing is this, we overcomplicate it. We do. When I was in Bible college, we learned something called the Roman road to salvation. Some of you may have heard that, Roman road. It's basically taking the, the book of Romans in the Bible and kind of like stair-stepping the process of saying yes to Jesus, going from verse to verse to verse. And it has quite a few in there, and I struggled to memorize it. 
That's not a bad tool. But I'm telling you, you don't necessarily need all the theology. You don't need every single thing all nailed down. Look, when people were drawn to Jesus, he didn't make them go through this whole plan of tests and all kinds of stuff. He didn't quiz them on all things theological. He said, come follow me. We sometimes overcomplicate the good news. We don't need to be a theologian. You know, I, I was in a, uh, an AA meeting on Wednesday. I was there in support of a family member. And in that meeting, if you've ever been to one of those meetings, and by the way, if you've never gone, I highly, highly recommend it. It was, I cry every time. But it was a big meeting. There were a lot of people sharing their story. And it was powerful. And I love how many people have found the power to overcome alcohol through a relationship with Jesus, but they don't beat you over the head with it. They just talk about, about the one who died for me. And they'll, they'll use language like that, but you know they're talking about Jesus. They met Jesus and things changed. Now, there are tools to help, right? We know that. There, there are good tools to help. and that's, it's, it's, Jesus provides that, that cornerstone for them to be able to find recovery. And they're just telling their stories. And you know what? Those stories are so powerful. The stories they tell in those meetings, they have the power to change people's lives because they're just being honest. And I wonder if we could just be honest with our stories sometimes and let the Lord use that to change someone's life. Just let our story be told. That's the only point I have today. Tell your Jesus story. Tell your Jesus story. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to be a theological expert. Can I just tell you this? And, and Andrew's not here so I could talk about him. He's on maternity leave. By the way, if you didn't know that, Andrew, our, 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 our associate pastor, he and his wife had a baby, and she is cute. Her name's Melody. Okay, that was a, I don't even know why I said that. The point is, Andrew and I both have gone to seminary, and we have master's degrees in ministry and theology. And you know what? There's lots of questions we don't know. Now, we know the tools to get to some maybe some answers and have some ideas, but look, wise, intelligent theologians have argued about some of the truths of Scripture for centuries and I'm not of the opinion that me and my arrogant self is going to solve all of those individual things. But it doesn't matter. The Lord wants to use your story. He wants to use my story to help bring someone to Jesus. Just like they did in the first century. And you know what? I hope that our excitement is better than some old shoes. I hope that we're excited because of what Jesus did for us. I don't know. Some of you have great stories. But I'm telling you, I just know in my life, that the fact that I met Jesus when I was a teenager was a life changer. I haven't been perfect, obviously, but it's helped me understand what it means to be a man, how to be a husband, how to be a dad. That's huge. What Jesus has done for you, wherever your story has led you, it's powerful. And stories can lead to someone saying yes to Jesus. Can you imagine? Just imagine that for a minute. All of us telling our story to whoever God's already placed in our lives, and what if we were able to celebrate that baptism here soon, where you... You are in the water with that person. And you get, a, you get to introduce them to death, burial, and resurrection, a new life. That, I'm telling you, is so powerful. Tell your Jesus story. Tell him what he's done. Revelation 12, 11, toward the end of the whole Bible, right? We're wrapping up. Revelation gets us to the very end. Revelation 12, 11 says this about God's people. He said, the believers, they have triumphed over the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. Your testimony is powerful. Your story is powerful. Tell it. Tell your story. You wouldn't even be here if someone didn't tell them their story. 
We're here because someone told us a story. Who in your life is ready for that story? And you know what? God's going to create those moments. Pray for them. Pray for that natural moment where you get to tell them, yes, use words and your actions, but tell them your story. Imagine all of us telling the story of Jesus. I love how Psalm 107 verse 2 says this, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Let's pray. Father, you're so good and powerful and mighty. Lord, I know that there's many of us online and in person today. Father, we're thankful for your love for us. And Lord, I pray that if there's some decisions that need to be made, some prayers that need to happen, that Father, you do an empowering work by the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, today, that Father, we would be willing to bring someone else in and pray. But Father, all of us have a story to tell. And so I pray, Father, you'd empower us to have the, the courage to tell our story. And, and Father, we pray that one day you would use our stories to expand your kingdom. And one day we'd be able to celebrate with a lot of people in new heavens and new earth that heard the story and were changed, Father, by the power of your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name.